Welcome to the Invest with Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts, Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello and welcome to another Invest with Clarity podcast with Mark Pearson. At the end of the last podcast, we teased you about we were going to talk about active versus passive because the last podcast was about SMAs versus mutual funds versus ETFs. And as Mark was telling me, hey, look, we're going to talk about this active versus passive thing. I, I had this really strange feeling in my brain because, Mark, you say all the time how you guys are long-term investors in my brain immediately goes, well, that's passive investing. But now well, you're talking about how being a long-term investor is actually active. I'm confused. You got to help me here, dude. Help me. You have at, you remember the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, I you're own that movie. Young, you remember that what movie. are you kidding me? Which one? I own both of them. <laughs> there was two of them? <laughs> that must be how old I am. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> That that is the that is the question. It's it, it, it's an interesting conversation. It's a great question, and there's actually a simple answer. And the simple answer is, uh, what what really what does passive versus active investing mean, right? Because you know words can be deceiving, right? If you go Google. What does passive investing mean? Uh, it comes up and says passive management, also called passive investing, is an investing strategy that tracks a market weighted index or portfolio mm -hmm. with low fees. An investor in such a fund would have higher returns than a similar fund with similar investments, but higher management fees and or turnover transaction costs. Okay. Okay. That's the definition they come up with. Uh, Investopedia says passive investing methods seek to avoid the fees and limited performance that may, may occur with frequent trading. Passive investing's goal is to build wealth gradually, also known as a buy and hold strategy. Passive investing means buying a security with the intention to own it long term. Unlike active traders, ooh, mm -hmm. a new word in there. Instead right. of investing, we're now seeing traders. Passive investors do not seek to profit from short-term price fluctuations or market timing. The underlying assumption of passive investing strategy is that the market posts positive returns over time. So, back to your question. Why can't passive investing mean investing in a great business over time? Allowing volatility the opportunity as businesses go up in value over time to buy more on sale. There's this whole argument that the quote unquote the market is efficient, the market is inefficient. Right, right. Yeah. I think uh, as the correction of 20% in the last quarter adamantly admits and the massive rebound that you may argue that the quote unquote market is efficient, but I think that's bull crap. 
because a market is not efficient. You don't invest in a stock market. A market is where people go to buy goods and services. The stock market is where people go to buy and sell businesses. And do there become inefficiencies in values of businesses over time? Of course. Hmm. Of course there is. That's volatility. I gave the example. I've given the example of Celgene. I've mm -hmm. given the uh, example of NVIDIA. I can give you example after example after example of businesses. Let me give you the greatest example anyone that they can uh, wrap their head around understand, Matt. Here it is. Okay. Take Apple for an example. Okay. Apple was a penny stock, went yeah. to $100 a share. Went all the way back to a penny stock, almost bankrupt, fired Steve Jobs, only to become the largest stock in the U.S. stock market in the last year or so. Mm -hmm. You don't think there's any efficiencies and values of businesses? This is why a buy discipline and a sell discipline are so important in the portfolio when you're investing. But again, Wall Street tries to cookie-cutter the investment process to make it, quote-unquote, simple for investors to understand. But let's not joke. Let's, let's, not, let's not mince words here. Investing is not easy. Mm -hmm. It's a process. I, my new phrase, by the way, process before progress. Oh. You have to have the process to get progress. You have to believe in the process and understand that process. And there are stories after stories after stories of stock market corrections, including the financial crisis, including 2000 to 2002, including the 20% correction we just went through, that created amazing opportunities to invest in great businesses over time, while at the same time being passive. How was I passive? Do you know, man, on the day that MasterCard and Visa went public, we bought those stocks? Hmm. My clients still own them today. They're up six, okay. seven hundred percent. Pause right there because there's. I have to stop you because you just that triggered a huge thing. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 still trying to process my question. So it's not an either or, and in this this Bingo. okay, this is what drives me crazy about how people think is they think it has to be black or white. What you're what I'm hearing you say is there are passive aspects of your portfolios and there are active aspects of your portfolios. And, and at different times, those are one's going to be one and one's going to be other. Is that fair? Fair. I, let me squirrel completely on you. <laughs> okay. My uh, people who know me, I'm, I'll, I'll be 54 this year. I act like I'm 25. I hang around with my 25-year-old son's friends and my daughter is 26. I, I, my son, who's 20, I hang around with young people. I love going out with young people. I love being young. Mm -hmm. Okay. I am ADD. I was a musician for years. I'm art and science. I'm a combination. I'm not just art. I'm not just science. I'm not an engineer and I'm not a painter. Okay. Think, think about that phrase for a second. Mm -hmm. Okay. My wife is completely diametrically opposed to me. My wife is introverted. I'm extroverted. My wife is a uh, facts-driven person. I'm a perceptive-driven person. My wife is black and white. 
I am gray. Mm-hmm. My wife is, if this, then that. I am, if this, potentially it's this, this, or that. Okay? Been married for 32 years this year, and people scratch their head at, at the difference between my wife and I. That's the same with investing. It's not black or white. It is an art and a science. We often use the phrase that the investment philosophy and strategy are the empirical slash scientific aspect of investing and that flexibility and transparency are the behavioral aspects of investing. And there's the debate on Wall Street about behavioral investing versus regular investing. This is the whole Warren Buffett deal. Warren Buffett doesn't call it behavioral aspect. But Warren Buffett is the epitome of behavioral investing, whether people know it or not. And we, the, again, the industry, to compartmentalize, to make it easy, the old, the old KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. The reality is investing is not simple. And, and the industry tries to make it simple or pass it off as simple to the investor. And statistically speaking, statistically speaking, the investor is the one who gets hurt. Because they listen to cookie-cutter crap that actually has nothing to do with the fundamentals of investing in great businesses, which is what investing really is and what actually happens in the stock market every day. Now, the semantics of your definitions on Investopedia there just add to the level of misunderstanding. Yes, how was that pot's freaking investopedia dude it switched from investor to trader so that they're saying it's implied then that you can't be an active investor you have to be an active trader right, right. or you so what what's up with that so can i ask you a question of course rhetorical of course in nature <laughs> i love uh, those those early are the best December, kind with I you i sell gene for my clients because i believe the long term fundamentals are improving and it's early December, right? It's stock's gone from 98 to 66. Okay. I buy the stock for my clients. Roughly a month later, Bristol Myers, uh, January 2nd, Bristol Myers announces the purchase of Celgene. So I go in and I sell Celgene at 86, 87, 88, $89 a share because the buyout's close to 100. But the buyout's not going to be done for six to nine months. So I'm giving up 10% roughly of return. But it's the start of the year, and I want that capital right now to buy another stuff that's been hammered in the correction. But I own the stock for 30 days. Am I a trader or am I an investor? Ooh, the silence is chilling. It depends on the definition. Oh, I, you, 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 you're killing me here. You mean I mean, it seriously. depends? <laughs> really? <sighs> huh, that's interesting. Of course I'm an investor. Did I buy Celgene with the auspices that they were going to get bought by Bristol-Myers? Look, this is the second time in a year it's happened to me. Actually, it was relatively the same situation in 2017-18 when we tax loss harvested on a company, a reinsurance company, and then went and bought another one only to see six months later AIG buy the company for a 30% premium. Now, did I think that cert, do I think that certain stocks move in certain did I think IQ, which I mentioned in the last podcast, goes from 15 to 23 basically in less than two months? Did I think that was going to happen? No. Was I prepared that it could happen? Sure. 
but it doesn't matter. I didn't think it was going to happen. I bought the business to buy the business, mm-hmm. right? And there are inefficiencies, i.e. volatility, things that happen over short periods of time that impact stock prices that an active investor can take advantage of that a passive one can't. And this is where you create the alpha. Look, if I, it, historically, we as a firm have created tremendous alpha, i.e. tremendous value relative to risk in companies that we've owned and portfolios for our clients. We had one stock we own. I'm going to tell you this real quick about active versus passive. Okay. I've never told you this story. Oh. I'm, I'm gonna, I am going to absolutely blow you away. You ready? In 2006, we started buying a stock. The name of the company was American Capital Strategies. Okay. American Capital Strategies was a business, let, let's call it basically a fund that owned a lot of different businesses, had a dividend yield of about 6.5%, and all, it was a business development company. They went and bought businesses, brought them into their company. It was a publicly traded stock. We started buying it at like 43, 42, 43, 44, it doesn't matter. Went up to like 46, 47 in 2007, paying us a juicy dividend, right? That stock bottomed in the financial crisis at 62 cents. Oh. 62 cents. And I remember a conversation I had with a client at the time, and he said, why didn't you sell American Capital Strategies? Now, at that time, it was at five bucks. It was before it went to 62. And I said, why would I sell it? He said, well, the stock went from 46 to five bucks. At what point do you, you know, why, why wouldn't you sell it? And I said, do you think I knew it was going to go to five bucks? <laughs> of course not. Now, here's what I did ask him. Let me ask you this, Mr. Client. Two questions, important questions, by the way. First question was, do you know what impact that stock going from $46 to $5 has had on your portfolio? Now, listen carefully. This is important. Let me ask it again. Do you know what impact that stock going from 46 to $5 had on your portfolio? Guy says, no. I said, it's been two percentage points. Two. And the markets are now down, what, 30% at this time. You know, 35%. Mm-hmm. And you're complaining about a one position that's gone to five bucks. And it's had an impact of two, two and a half percent on your portfolio. In other words, relatively speaking to the portfolio, small impact. Mm-hmm. Okay? That stock goes to 62 cents. At two, uh, by the way, the second question, of course, was have the long-term fundamentals gotten better, worse, or are they the same? My opinion was the fundamentals have gotten better because if I liked it at 46 or at 30 or 20, I got to love it at five bucks. But you're in the midst of the financial crisis and you're managing, you're hedging, you're doing all these different things because that's what active managers do during periods of uncertainty. And the stock goes to 62 cents. So at $5, a couple weeks later, this, uh, uh, this client fires us, takes his money, sells all his positions. Two weeks later, the stock goes from like five bucks to six bucks, right? It it bounces because it's super volatile, right? During this volatile period. Remember, there's inefficiencies. I don't care what anyone tells you. There's inefficiencies in stock prices over short periods of time. He wants to become a client again. He he realizes he made a mistake. We said, no, thank you. Wow. Stock goes to 62 cents. 
at $2 assessing the situation, we make the decision that we're going to go in and buy the stock for our clients. We're going to average our basis down. Mm-hmm. And of course, whoa, whoa, we whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry. Uh, you define that. Oh, uh, in other words, if I bought it at 30 or 40 or 25 or 20, if I buy more at $2, I'm reducing my cost basis. I'm lowering the average price of what I paid for that asset. Okay. And why is that important long term? That is the juice that (laughs) makes it squeeze. Uh Uh-huh. The reason why that's important is when you invest in businesses, it is not a function of, I bought it at X, I sell it at Y. A function of great investing, like any good business owner, is that they continually invest in their business. Why do they continually invest in their business? Because they believe in the long-term fundamentals of the business that they own and that the capital that they are putting to work will grow in value higher than the day they put that money to work. So if I put money to work at $2, I lower my average cost of what I paid for the business, and I'm making the decision that I believe that what I'm paying right now with these dollars will be worth more in the future while I'm reducing my basis of my overall investment costs. People use the term dollar cost averaging, yep. using equal dollar amounts at a set period of time over time to average your price. I'm averaging my price strategically over time. I started at two bucks. By the way, new portfolios coming in who bought that stock at two bucks loved me, by the way, because at $5, <laughs> they decided to pay a dividend. They paid a $1 dividend in stock. Oh, my gosh. So, in other words, you bought at $5, $1. How many shares are you buying, right? At $5, that's the dividend, right? You're getting stock, a dollar, okay? Pretty juicy, ain't it? Yeah, Three years later, 2014-50, I don't remember the exact date, I sold, this is such a great lesson, I sold that stock between $14 to $15 a share. Okay? Mm -hmm. The worst performing portfolio owned it for seven years and averaged over 10% rate of return per year. Let me say that again. Clients who held it the longest, who bought it in the 40s, sold it for 14 to 15 and the worst performing investor did over 10% per year. Now, do you want to know what the scariest component of that statement is? Hmm. That half the people I tell that story to can't understand how that happened because people live in a myopic world, a black and white world. If I bought at 46 and I sold at 15, how did I make money? That's impossible. People do not understand the power of strategically continually investing in a business over time and reducing my cost basis. If I buy 100 shares at 47 and the stock, let's just say, and that's that's $4,700, right? And I bought 100 shares. But at at $4, I decide to buy another 4,700 shares, <laughs> or $4,700, or 
Now, right at forty-seven hundred dollars, at four bucks, how many shares am I getting? Way more than a yeah. hundred. <laughs> I've completely reduced the basis of my stock. This is what investors don't understand. This is why investors continually live in a world that is black and white, cookie cutter, and compartmentalized. Mm. But investing is way more complex than that. There are a lot more moving parts. What enables the moving parts to be managed is clarity. And that is the power of investing with clarity. All men, brother. Bueller. <laughs> yeah, all men, brother. I'm uh, I'm all good there. I, I I do. Would you mind if I if I ask you a question that might not be applicable, but it kind of goes back to the last podcast? Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So in the last podcast, when we were talking about SMAs, uh, and one of the nice things about having an SMA uh, versus a mutual fund account, yeah, which which was the tax opportunity there. Now, if I lower my cost basis on a stock like the one that you were just talking about, does that change my tax implications on selling? Sure could. Sure could. Because if I if I lower my cost basis from let's say, you know. Forty dollars a share to twenty. Yeah. Okay. At forty dollars, if I sold it at thirty, right, I have a loss. Right. Right. But if I lower my basis down to twenty and I sell at thirty, I have a gain. Yes. Right. And by the way, I go from short-term gain more than likely to right. long-term gain. Okay. Not necessarily the case, but a variable that must be considered because short-term gains are taxed differently than long-term gains. Right. Yes. So. The power of the SMA, separately managed account, the power of active versus passive, is that what no one talks about are the extreme advantages that are given to the investor by having a buy discipline and sell discipline in that process that allows them to potentially enhance their ability to be successful. Because in active management, there are variables that are in your control and variables out of your control. Right now, the markets, the way investors are investing, is they have very limited control because they're in mutual funds or exchange-traded funds where they can't make the decisions about the positions in there, the actual investments. They can only make their decisions based on the whole. Well, who makes a decision based on the whole? It it would be like running a business and saying, every decision I make is going to be based on the entire business. That's ludicrous. Yeah, absolutely. There's, 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 There's so many moving parts within it that you have to manage. It's like managing your children. It's like managing your day. It's like managing your health. I want to be healthy. Okay, does mean does being healthy mean I just exercise? No. I've got to get my sleep. I've got to drink lots of water. I've got to get I I've got to make sure that I eat the right foods. I've got to make sure that I take my vitamins. I've got to make sure that I don't do things that could inhibit my health. Those are the variables. That's why portfolio management should be active, not passive. Matt, here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. Do you know why passive investing is pushed so much? Do you know why index investing is pushed so much? Honestly, I swear, I have no idea why. I'm going to tell you. Okay, good. Because the investment world is taught a cookie-cutter approach. They are taught to buy and hold funds. 
They are taught to, quote unquote, invest in a market. And investors end up doing that and then not succeeding because there are other variables that they are not getting the opportunity to take advantage of. There are the behavioral aspects. There is the volatility aspect. There is the aspect that, frankly, people don't have a clue what they own and why and therefore make a macro decision about their money as opposed to an educated decision about their money because they have zero clarity in what they own and why they own it. That is investing with clarity. All right, Mark. I, I don't know how much more I can take of this today. I, I have I don't know if you can hear the rusty gears in my brain grinding, but uh, <laughs> this was awesome. I mean, really. I, I'm so thank you for allowing me to ask you those questions. Uh, those were super informative to me, and I'm really hoping that they're informative to our listenership. Thank you. Agreed. I hope they can learn from it. All right. Well, this might be one of those podcasts that you want to click that share button on below. In fact, this one and the last one on SMAs, you might want to just re-listen to those. And I'm sure most of you do know somebody who really could use this information, because if you don't have that clarity, if you don't truly understand what you own and why you own it, then what in God's name are you doing? And with that, make sure you also click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device for everybody at Nepsis and the Invest with Clarity podcast. This is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Nepsis Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. 